that you are worthy of all the worship that we can give to you. And Father, as we open up your word, as we seek to hear your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts from it, we pray that you would challenge us with the truth of your word. We pray that we would be convicted of our sin. And we pray today that we would leave here being changed by your power and we'd be ready to do what you've called us to do in these days to come. In the good name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. I want to invite you to take your Bible and open with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16. In a few minutes, we'll read a few verses from Matthew chapter 16. Specifically, we'll look at verses 13 through 19 as I want to share a message with you this morning titled, Here is the Church. Now, that's based on uh, if you grew up in church, you, you may have learned this little nursery rhyme. And the way that they taught me to do it in the sticks of South Arkansas in Sunday school classes, you'd, you'd, you'd kind of get your hands together like this, and, and you would say, this is the church, and this is the steeple. You open the door, and there are the people, which I always thought was in later life a little funny because you had to turn the church upside down to get the little wiggly people, and the people were wiggling, so they weren't Baptists because they were moving there to church service, and ain't none of y'all moved whatsoever. Had it been a Pentecostal church that they were doing, that uh, the people were wiggling a little bit. Uh, that was just a way that uh, the little, little device that they used to kind of help us try to understand a, a little bit about this weird thing that we call the church. While we are gathered here today and how we'll be scattered from here still being the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, a few years ago, your, your staff, we sat down together and, and we began to think through and pray through uh, s some, some thinking and, and asking God to, to kind of help us understand what values Scripture calls us as followers of Jesus and as a church of Jesus to embrace. What, what is it that God would have us to, to embrace as an individual follower of Jesus who seeks to be his hands and feet in the world today, but also as a, a group of believers who belong to a family of faith that we call First Baptist Church. And, and our staff worked through that for several weeks, and, and uh, we got our deacons involved. We shared some things with them. And, and the list of, of what we could do, the, the list of what we should do is certainly lengthy, but, but through a prayerful process, we, we zeroed in on six values that we believe Scripture calls us to embrace as people who follow Jesus uh, both individually as a disciple and collectively as a church, a group of disciples. And and, and those values, they're highlighted there on the, the, the title screen for the message. They're also, you can see them on the graphic if you, if you got a bulletin as you came in. You can see those values that are listed there. And, and we spent some time back in the fall of 2019 looking at those values that, that form our identity as a follower of Jesus and as a church. We have some uh, new faces since then. 
and, and the faces that, are, that were here then, they're still here now, we're, we're prone, those faces are prone to forget. And so I thought it'd be good as we start the new year just to, to spend the next several weeks revisiting some of those values, not re-preaching any of the same sermons. I don't need that email from you this week, but, uh, but just kind of revisiting the, the values that, that we want to put before us that we are to embrace as followers of Jesus. But before we can unpack those values that form our identity, we need to be reminded of what the church is. We need to be reminded of what we are to be as a part of the church. Specifically, we want to ask the question this morning, what does Jesus say about the church? What is his desire for the church? What does Jesus say about your function and purpose in the life of the church? I don't know if you figured this out. I've, I've been pastoring uh, churches for, for a few years, and, uh, and, and I quickly kind of learned this, that in my first pastorate, Silver Springs Baptist Church in, in Hope, Arkansas, my first pastorate when I went there had about 20 people in it, and I found out that of that congregation of 20 people, I had about 60 opinions. And I don't know if you're figuring that out about <laughs> church life as well. And I also found out that church people aren't afraid to let you know their opinions in various ways and in various contexts and sometimes with various attitudes. And your opinion is important. My opinion is important. Our voices should be heard, but we take a back seat to what Jesus says. Our opinion has to be surrendered to the truth of what Jesus had stated. And, and that's, not, that's why the, the question's not what you think the church should be. It doesn't matter what I think the church should be. The question we have to concern ourselves with is, what does Jesus say the church is? What is his desire for me as a part of his church? And we find part of that answer for those questions in what some might consider to be an unlikely place. Let's look at our text, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, anytime I read Simon Peter said or Simon Peter replied, I just go, oh no, what's he going to say, right? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He got that one right. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, or Hades, shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What do you think about your, your maybe a favorite superhero of yours? 
Oh, maybe it's, it's Spider-Man, maybe it's, it's Batman, maybe it's Superman, maybe it's the, the Lone Ranger or Captain America, whoever. Th those superheroes, they would, they would suddenly appear out of nowhere. There'd be trouble, they'd show up, they'd perform some big superhuman and hero feat, and off they would go, but what was unique about all those superheroes, you know, they wore masks, and therefore, no, they wore masks for wearing masks was needed by the CDC. Uh, and, and you never knew, like, no one ever would figure out who they were. Their identity was always hidden, and you were wondering maybe somebody would figure it out. People would, would be in awe at what they did, but they would also be in wonder. They would think, who is this person? Well, Jesus was a person who left people wondering who he was. Although he didn't wear a mask to, to conceal his identity, he still left people wondering, who is this man? There were a lot of of opinions about who Jesus was. There were a lot of ideas about his identity. Once he appeared on the scene and, and he began to teach and he began to do miracles and he began to do all these things that, that was revealing who he was, people had different opinions, the different ideas about who he was. And so he asked a couple of questions. He, he posed a, a general question, who do people say that I am? And then he posed posed a, a very specific question, who do you say that I am? Now, the disciples answered the first question in kind of a, a very diplomatic way. They gave various answers. Well, some say you're John the Baptist, and, and some people think you're Elijah, and some people think you might be Jeremiah or, or one of the other prophets, and those were all, catch this, those were all very good opinions, but they were all incorrect opinions. You see, it's possible for someone to have a good opinion about Jesus, but it's not the correct opinion about who Jesus is. And so Peter answered the personal question, who do you say that I am? He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And his answer was correct. Now, before you go, yay, Peter, he finally got one right, you realize it wasn't really Peter who got it right. Jesus told us, Peter, the reason you got this question right was because God revealed it to you. God showed you, God told you who I am. And Jesus, don't miss this, Jesus used Peter's response to introduce a new concept, to share a new truth about this thing called the church. And in doing so, Jesus revealed his desire for the church. This is the first time the word church is used in the Bible, and the first person to use it was Jesus. That tells me that I better pay attention to what Jesus said, because he's kind of the expert on everything, so whatever he says, I better zero in on and see what is he teaching me, what is he teaching us about the church. And I want to mention to you briefly, before we jump into these several weeks of looking at these values 
we want to embrace and practice as followers of Jesus and as the family of faith known as First Baptist Church in Milton, Florida. Before we jump into that, let's see what Jesus said in this verse about what we have to be involved with as part of the church. Three things. First is this. Jesus wants the church to be marked by our progress. Okay, he wants the church, he wants you as a follower of his, he wants this church as a church that belongs to him to be marked by our progress. He said in verse 18, I will build my church. <coughs> a man can build a building but only God can build a church. Now there's obviously a, a future tense when Jesus made this statement. He's saying, I will. There will be a time in the future. Now for us, that time is the past. He has already done that where he established the church. But that concept of, of build, that idea has the, 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 the concept of development. To build is to increase towards a goal. It's, it's moving forward. It is progressing. You see, there may be a moment in which the construction of a building is complete, but the church, the people of God, we will never reach a point of completion in the ministry and the mission of God on this earth. The desire of Jesus is for the church, for you and I, as part of First Baptist Church, Milton, Florida. It is his desire for us to progress toward the goal of fulfilling the Great Commission as we individually and collectively do ministry and mission. It's not his desire for us to go in reverse. You can read the, the, what Jesus had to say to a church called Ephesus in the book of Revelation to find out that he does not desire for our church to go in reverse, nor as he speaks the church at Laodicea does he desire for our church to remain stagnant or in neutral right where it is. Instead, he desires in building his church for us to be marked by our progress. Let me ask you this question and I'll go ahead and tell you the answer is no, okay? Has the ministry and mission of First Baptist Church been completed? No. Is your ministry, is your mission as a follower of Jesus, has that ministry, has that mission been completed? Are you finished? No. You're here right now. Look at what Jesus reveals to us when he instructs in the Apostle Paul to write these words in 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, or excuse me, to, to, to Peter, he says, You yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. We, as followers of Jesus, we're not dead stones, we're living stones. Sidebar, that's why when the church gathers as a church to worship, that we should be marked by celebration, not by 
a funeral. It's because we are living stones. We're not dead stones. We're living stones who have a living, risen Savior, and we are being, present tense, we are being built up as a spiritual house. Or Ephesians 5, 2 and verse 22, Paul says, in Him, in Jesus, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are in the process right now of being built together. You see, the church is nothing more than the sum of the people who compose it. We are a work in progress. Therefore, the church is a work in progress. So I ask you, are you progressing toward becoming more like Jesus Christ? Are you asking God to continue His work of building you toward fulfilling the ministry and the mission of God? As C.T. Studd said many years ago, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. God's desire, the desire of Jesus it's for the church and those who make it up to be marked by our progress. Second, Jesus wants the church to be assured by his promise. He wants us as followers of him to be assured of his promise. Look at what he said in verse 18. He said, on this rock I'll build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, this phrase, I think, is often misinterpreted. I think a lot of preachers and pastors and people interpret this verse to mean that the church is to, to storm the gates of hell. But I, I, don't, I don't think, it's not my belief, that that's what Jesus is teaching us when he says the gates of hell shall not prevail against church. Here's a little, just a kind of a sidebar seminary free note. You don't have to pay in your own seminary to teach you this. They give it to you free, okay? The best way to interpret the Bible is to let the Bible interpret the Bible, okay? It's always the best way to interpret it. Not your idea, but what, what does the Bible say? So when you say, okay, the gates of hell, what does it mean by the gates of hell? You let the Bible interpret what that means. Now, the gates of hell is a Jewish expression that's used in the Old Testament that means the realm of the dead. It is used in, in Job 38, 17. It's used in Isaiah 38, 10. And when it's used in that context, the gates of hell represents the passageway from this life to the grave. So when Jesus says, I'm going to do my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, he is giving a promise to the church guaranteeing that the church will not be defeated by death, the ultimate enemy, because we have victory in Jesus Christ. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory in through Jesus Christ. 
in the context of Matthew chapter 16, the persecution that these disciples who were hearing Jesus and the church that Jesus is building, they are going to soon experience persecution that will result in their death. You see, in verse 21, Jesus referred to his own death. If you look down in Matthew 16, verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And in verse 25, look at what Jesus says. Whoever would save his life will lose it. It's death. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The Bible and history show this to be true. Followers of Jesus, like the Apostle Paul, and the church of Jesus, as God wrote to them through the ministry of Peter in the book of 1 Peter, the church and followers, they would be persecuted to the point of death. Out of those 12 apostles, 11 of them died a martyr's death. The only one who did not die a martyr's death was John. They boiled John alive in a vat of oil, but he would not die, so they finally exiled him to an island called Patmos, thinking that'll shut him up, but he showed them. Wrote a book called Revelation while he was on that island of exile. Here's what Jesus is saying. Even the most drastic measures taken against you, even if it's persecution that leads to death, it will not stop or stomp out my church. Followers of Jesus and the church of Jesus have been persecuted for 2,000 years, yet the church of Jesus Christ still stands today. Even death could not hold Jesus, and not even death, the gates of hell, will stop his bride. And that gives us assurance. We need to live in this promise. We need to live from that promise. We need to live in that assurance. We must live from that assurance. Living in and from that assurance is what gives the church the boldness to speak the truth regardless of our culture. Living in and from that assurance is what gives the church the boldness to stand for truth regardless of the consequences. Living in and from that assurance is what gives the church of Jesus Christ the boldness to share the truth of the gospel regardless of the cost. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. He is ours because the church is His. Claim that assurance this morning in your life and allow God to transform you because of it. His desire is for the church to be assured by His promise that the gates of Hades, of hell, shall not prevail or overcome His work through His people in His church. And third, Jesus wants the church to make Him known by our proclamation. 
His desire for the church is to make him known by our proclamation. Look at what Jesus said in verse 19. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Think about the purpose of a key. The purpose of a key is to open something that is locked, thus revealing something that was, until that moment, hidden or unavailable. You see, if you possess a key, you've been given authority and responsibility. I don't have a key to your house. Therefore, I don't have the authority to go into your house. You don't have a key to my house. I love you, but there's a good reason for that. <laughs> so you don't have the, in fact, if I don't have the authority to go into your house, and I do, what happens? I have to resign because I'm at the Santa Rosa County Sheriff's Office in the jail. I break it and entering. A key gives authority, but a key also gives responsibility. And when Jesus says that I'm going to give you, and, and by extension, the church, the keys, the kingdom of heaven, the church has been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and we have the authority and the responsibility to unlock and to reveal the truths of God and His kingdom. Think back to the Great Commission. I think the verse will be on the screen. In the Great Commission, Jesus said this, he came and said to them, all authority, there's the authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and here's the responsibility. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. There's the authority, I've given it to you, and there's the responsibility to make disciples. The church has been given the authority, the church has been given the responsibility to proclaim the truth about God and to declare the gospel of salvation to those who have yet to believe. Paul said to Timothy, by the Holy Spirit, 2 Timothy 1.14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, we have a task to guard the good deposit entrusted to you. That good deposit is the good news, the truth of the gospel. Scripture makes it clear that the way we rightly steward the truth and the gospel is by our proclamation of it. You see, you have been given the authority. You have been given that responsibility. The only thing before us is the calling and the challenge to embrace that authority and to fulfill that responsibility. Because his desire for the church is to make him known by our proclamation. To talk about what Jesus desires for his church is to talk about what he desires for you. But see, it's not people who are in the church. It's people who are the church. Jeremy? It's not the people who are in the church. 
It's the people who are the church. And if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, what he wants for the church is what he wants for you. He wants you to make progress toward the goal of becoming more like him as you fulfill your ministry and mission. He wants you to live in and from the assurance that he provides nothing will stop God's people from accomplishing God's will. Therefore, we have a responsibility to proclaim that gospel message, to take the good news to the ends of the earth, starting in our neighborhoods, in our home, our own homes, in our neighborhoods, until the world hears that Jesus loves them and that Jesus can save them. That is a kind of God that I want to have a relationship with. I want to have a relationship with a God who loves people so much that he would go to the uttermost ends of his life to make it possible for me to know him. And he's done that in my life. Has he done that in yours? As we try to put a bow on things this morning, I, I want you to simply think about your relationship with God in terms of, of steps. God is always calling us to take a step in our relationship with God. We oftentimes ask the question around here, what is your next step? What is the, the thing that God's calling you to do next? Because if you have breath in your lungs, if you have beats in your heart, God is not finished with you. There is something that's next. Now, what that next is for you, I don't know. I only am able to discern what God's next is for me, and sometimes I struggle to do that. I sure don't want to pretend to know what your next step is. But I can think of some things that it might be. Maybe the next step you need to take in your relationship with God is the first step you need to take, and that is making Jesus your Lord and Savior. Has there ever been a time in your life when through prayer, through talking to God, you confessed your sins to Him, and your heart, you, you asked Him to change your desire, you repented of those sins, and you asked Him to be your Lord and Savior. If, there's never, if, if that's not occurred in your life, that is your first step, and you can take that step today. Because in just a couple of minutes, I'm going to pray. And, and while I pray, you can pray as well. And if that's the step you need, to, you need to take, then when we pray, you can tune me out for however long it takes you to pray. And you can spend time with God. And there are no magic words to say. There's not a magic formula to go through. As best as you know how, you simply cry out to God something along the lines of saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. God, I admit to you, I confess to you that I am a sinner. But God, I, I want you to change me. God, I, I believe that Jesus came to this earth and, and lived a life 
without sin because I never will be able to. And, and I believe that he died on the cross for my sin to pay the penalty, the price for that sin. And so today, Jesus, I just, I want you to save me. God, will you save me from my sins as I trust in what Jesus has done for me? Something along those lines, something of that nature, as best you know how from your heart to God. Maybe your next step is to say, you know what? This guy's yapped a lot about this morning about the church. And maybe you, you've been kind of on the sidelines. Maybe you've kind of been texting the waters and, look, churches are weird. I know that. I've, I've been in churches all my life. I went to church so much. I went to church nine months before I was born, okay? I've been, I, I'll, I'll be 40-something this year. I, I stopped counting at, at 40, uh, early, mid-40s this year. And, and I've been in church for all that time. I know churches are weird. I know churches have, have weird people. I, I know churches have weird pastors. I know this church has weird pastors. This church has weird pastors. I know that. Get that, all right? And I know every church has hypocrites. But you don't stop going to a doctor because doctors, there are some doctors who are hypocrites as well. You don't stop going to a doctor because one's a hypocrite. You don't stop shopping at Walmart and Target because a cashier's a hypocrite. And there's some of them there. Hypocrites everywhere. So instead of complaining about the problems of the church, why don't you join us and do something to solve the problems? So you kind of, maybe you've been standing on the sidelines and, and your next step is to become a part of God's family at First Baptist Church. Maybe that's God's plan for you to help us do ministry and mission. Maybe you need to be baptized by immersion. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to Jesus. I don't know what your next step is, but something else you'll oftentimes hear me say is whatever it is that God's calling you to do, all that I'll ever ask you to do is to place your yes on the table to whatever God says to you. So after I pray, I want you to, to, to look at that. I mean, if you need to take a next step in your pews, there's a yellow next step card. And, and that, that next step card has some of those next steps. And after I pray and we stand and sing, if there's a next step you can make, just take a minute and, 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 and look at those next steps and, and say, okay, this is what God's calling me to do and indicate what that next step is. And, and we'll come alongside you as best we can as a church and help you take those next steps. I just want you to leave this place today being faithful to what God's called you to do because I know he's been faithful to you. He's been faithful to me. And I want us to be faithful to him. Would you join me in prayer this morning as we pray for God to move in our hearts? Father, we're so thankful that you love us enough that you would send your son to die for us. That you would then birth into existence this thing called the church. And that we would be able to be a part of it so father I, I pray today whatever you're placing upon our hearts that we would simply say yes whatever next step it is that we would take that next step and father I especially pray if there's one in this room today and they've never placed their faith in Jesus that today would be the day that they take that first step that will change not only their eternity, will change their life right here, right now. Whatever you're calling us to do, 
May we simply say yes.